to YHTV's Trinity of Life. I'm Christina Suzuma, your host for this program. It's been a very exciting few weeks. This is our fourth episode, and I am just loving every moment of this. <clears throat> Finally, after so many years of embarking on building this platform, I'm able to now become that forever student that I've always loved being and not saying that during building the platform I wasn't but it was the student of the internet space <laughs> that I've had to had to learn this whole new realm of communication um, but now I get to really delve into the areas that have just so connected my heart to and um, today is a, a very special day because it is you know growing up uh, being brought up in a Roman Catholic atmosphere and going to a Catholic school, you know, spending my Sundays in church and at Sunday schools. <clears throat> it was uh, it was quite an interesting time for me because I'd always watched um, my Asian background, which uh, my relatives that were more of the Buddhist background and, you know, their celebrations and, and the way that they would have their prayers or meditation and I always saw as a child that there were similarities it was like they had their deities that they would pray to uh, and burn incense for and here we had our deities that we would burn candles to and I would always say you know question over and over again to the priest are we praying to the same being um, <clears throat> as we're all coming together in that silence, in that place. And it, it was for years that I would question that. And they would always say, well, you know, they have their gods and we have ours. And somewhere innately in me, was, I, I felt like we were all on the same path, you know, of being, you know, really good people, being the best we could be, and really learning in this journey of life. And so, you know, uh, as I came grew up, I haven't quite grown up yet, but <laughs> still, um, just moving on my journey, it's been quite an experience to um, experience different forms of meditation, different forms of prayer, different cultures. And I'm finding that I've just touched the tip of the iceberg. So today, we have with us a, a, a gentleman who spoke with us and we were introduced to him just only a few months ago. He spoke for us at our third annual Virtual World Yoga and Meditation Conference. And he spoke on a subject of <clears throat> Shaktipat meditation, which I'd never heard of and I'd never encountered. Just that one hour session, which is really, as uh, some of you might know, which is really only 45 or 50 minutes long by the time we have the introductions and everything. It was such a moving experience. Um, I, I do believe because of my body work and what I do in the healing arts uh, that I am also at a, a different level of being able to experience energies at a different frequency. And those of you out there who were just beginning also felt quite a difference. And Shaktipat meditation, which I've learned, and still the tip of the iceberg, is that transference of energy. And Stephen Sadler has been able to do this and grasp it to the point where he's able to shift that even through the phone lines, even through the computer. He's been able to transfer that energy and touch his students, which is magnificent, which is magnificent that to know that there is no boundaries on sharing energy. So today is a very special day because of course, like many of you who have experienced his session, we want to get to know who this gentleman is, how he came to be where he's at, at this point in his journey, and really understand the person behind this, these teachings, the magnificence. Hello and welcome, Stephen. Namaste. Namaste. Welcome to um, Trinity of Life. Um, so here we are, Stephen. I, we are honored to have you back with us again. 
Um, I know we did a, a special on you last week where you were able to allow our listeners and our viewers to join you with the Shaktipat meditation because you are actually teaching your self-realization course tonight. You're starting a new series tonight. Isn't that correct? That, that's right. That's exciting. So I have had so many questions about who Stephen Sadlier is. So can you tell us how this began? Can you tell us um, from your childhood, was it something that you were already aligned with? Yeah, it must have been part of my destiny because by my mother's account, I would sit cross-legged on my bunk bed even when I was five years old with my eyes rolled up. <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. You know, I didn't know there was a meditation. My parents weren't particularly spiritual. My grandparents on my father's side were Baptists. And so I was introduced to God through the traditional way, through Jesus, who I still have a place in my heart for. But my grandmother could never give me instruction as to who I was and the purpose of life and what God is, except for referring to sections of the Bible. Hmm. So even as a very young child, I started investigating different spiritual paths on my own. I'd go around on my bicycle to different churches, synagogues in my neighborhood, hmm. just asking people, what do you guys do? What's this about? And I had times where I would speak to what we might think of as other uh, other entities or energies as a child. You know, my mother called them make-believe friends because they didn't see these uh, orbs of light or they didn't have an encounter with what we might think of as an angelic being, but I kind of grew up with that. So, so your and you never spoke to your your parents about this. You never shared the fact that this is what you were seeing. Well, I did a little bit, but you know, like a, a parent in the '60s might say, she goes, "Oh, well, you're imagining things." Mm -hmm. I, growing up as all through elementary school, I didn't hang out with kids. I never went to softball. I didn't do the things other kids did, and my mother worked while I was in elementary school. So I would just kind of hike off into the hills behind my house. And I always liked being near nature anyway. Mm -hmm. And I would just sit. So I, I kind of had a natural calling to sit. And then I started going to a yoga class that was at the rec center in Corona Del Mar. And instead of going to play softball or some of the normal things that kids do. I was practicing yoga. I would go home from school and watch Richard Hittleman's Yoga for Today when it was still in black and white. That's, I remember that. You know, which tells you how old I am now. But, uh, that was my introduction to yoga and meditation. And then when going, when I went to this yoga class in Corona del Mar, they, the teacher would say, oh, well, I see you already know how to meditate. And I didn't know I knew how to meditate. I, I'd had a vision of someone I later found out was the avatar Sai Baba. Mm. And I got instruction to meditate kind of on the inner or in a lucid dream, depending on how you would view it. And that was my introduction, uh, was, was more an inner teaching. Mm. And then at 16, as soon as I bought my first car, which was a Volkswagen Beetle, <laughs> I headed up the 395, which is a highway that comes up the backside of the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. I grew up in Newport Beach, and um, I went backpacking by myself. I used to like to go up into the wilderness, and one day I climbed up behind what's known as the Palisades Glacier. Mm. There's not much of it left anymore, oh. but uh, there was a mountain up there, and I sat up there like in the traditional Ziggy cartoon, you know, cross-legged, <laughs> praying and meditating, beseeching God to reveal himself and explain to me who I was and why I was born. And I got this epiphany or this calling to, it felt like God had asked me to study all the religions of the world and write a book about it. So at the age of 16 for the next 20 years, my life and now really my entire adult life has been first to study all the religious teachings and spiritual paths and teachers of the world, write a book about it. And after garnering so much information from so many gurus around the world, I began teaching. So my life was first mostly in gathering and now teaching. Mm. Um, so, so really from, from a child, not quite understanding why you could sit and why you would be sitting um, into your teens. Now, so during the school years, were you, did you feel that you were different from other students? 
Oh, yeah. And, and the students thought so, too. Matter of fact, it's interesting because of Facebook, a lot of people I went to high school with have looked me up and they they used to laugh because the for the, the high school yearbook that we were asked, you know, what was our purpose in life or what what did we want to accomplish? And mine was to float on the universal note. And wow. nobody knew what, nobody knew what that meant back then. You know, that was really kind of an out there thing to say. Uh, but now more and more people are realizing there is this place where you go out of your body. You mm-hmm. you commune with the divine. You might think of it as ohm now, you know, the primordial sound current. And that's what I did in high school. I went out. So even in elementary school, I would go to the very end of the playground, cross my legs and close my eyes and just go out. And that's how I spent my recess. Wow. Wow. So so you're so I mean, because I we know all growing up. Um, you know, children can be really cruel because if you're different, then they sort of outcast you as well and not want to play oh, yeah. and things like that. Is that what happened to you as well? Yes, I was teased quite a bit. I was spit on. I One time they held me down and even urinated on me. So I had a lot of very, what might seem like harsh mm-hmm. um, experiences with kids growing up. And that did really nothing more than help me develop compassion for humanity and and want to escape uh, to the hills behind my house too. You know, I did. That's probably why I didn't play with kids. I didn't have any friends really till I started high school. I my friends were all what other people would call imaginary friends, and now I would consider celestial or extraterrestrial beings, where where I spent most of my time. So I was groomed to do what I'm doing now since I was a child. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, this Matter is fact, so. Eight, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say at eight years old, um, I had a tonsillectomy. And I had a, during the operation, my heart and breathing stopped. I flatlined and I'd left my body. Um, <laughs> I was presumed dead. And uh, I could watch them at one point trying to jumpstart my heart with the electrical, you know, whatever they are, heart stop starters. And uh, eventually, obviously, they finally did get my heart and breathing to, to go again. But there was a moment when I was not in my body that I'd felt so much joy and love and peace. And I felt the presence of God profoundly Mm. that from that moment on, I really kind of dedicated myself to coming back to that place Mm. and and finding that communion. And I have. And so now I like to share it with others. Oh, that's magnificent. I I think the reason why I uh, focus so much on your childhood, because, you know, there is this whole influx of children that have come into our planet now that um, they are different. They, they have uh, a different awareness. Um, and I mean, they have names, you know, they have d- names for, for children. The first it was the indigos, then it was the chrysalids. Now it's like the fifth root generation. And each time they're evolving and they're becoming a little different. And of course, people, uh, society, it's hard for them to understand or even basically they don't make an attempt to understand them. Um, uh, to understand that that they don't their their linear mind is not as um, it's it's harder for them to control their linear mind so to say the society is harder if they find it hard to control their linear mind so these children these poor children are being medicated so highly because they are different um, if they're not like the norm. So right. to hear you speak about how, I mean, in your case, it was a place in time where all of this was not accepted, you know, or people didn't want to accept it. They, they feared anything that was different, which they do as well now. But I, I do think that there is an emergence also of a shift that's begun, beginning to take place as well, that there are, you know, other beings out there and people are becoming a little more aware of it and hopefully you know, hopefully like through what we're doing here that we can continue to help that awareness and consciousness to to develop, right? And not the fear as opposed to the fear. So that's... Uh, exactly. So Well, that, that's what Self-Awareness Institute is, by the way. That We're kind of a gathering place for all those people that have had those experiences and not known perhaps that it was commonplace, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe not common in the neighborhood you grew up in, But throughout the world, there are people that are connecting at another level or they have an inner knowing that is coming to fruition. So our idea is let's all come together and support Mm -hmm. each other in evolving ourselves to our highest potential. And it's comforting. People come sometimes just because 
they're glad to know there's other people that have these kind of experiences. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, so it's uh, it's sort of like a, a nice, safe place where people of like mind come together, right? Exactly. Wonderful. So, so from sixteen, that's you would go up into the mountains, and by that point, what did your family think? I mean, you, I'm assuming that you sort of ventured away from the Baptist side of things, or were you still involved with that religion? No, well, I've always held a, a, a place in my heart for Jesus. I mean, when you listen to what he says, if you go in and hear his quotes, they're profound, mm -hmm. you know, and my, my, I kind of fell in love with Jesus through my grandmother because she would have tears in her eyes when she talked about him. And so I kind of fell in love through, with Jesus through my grandmother, Ruth, but I never really felt connected with any of the churches that I was brought to. You know, the, in the Baptist faith, there's often ministers that point their finger at you and shake and tell you you're going to burn in hell and that you're a sinner. And I just <laughs> would look at these people and go, what are you talking about? And then we went to the Crystal Cathedral and this guy was very nice, but it was like this big production and all this. It seemed all about money all the time. Yeah. And I go, wait a minute. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Jesus didn't focus on money. He he told the apostles to give up their possessions and to minister from your heart, not think about it. He was tempted by the devil. You know, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth. When he was, after his uh, enlightenment at the Jordan, he went out to the desert to meditate and pray. And one of the temptations was given to him was to be given all the kingdoms of the earth, all the money and power, in other words, and he renounced that. So it's seen by all accounts that Jesus was renouncing the materialistic world. You know, so I never really connected with one, any one faith. Um, I really found God through my own personal direct experience. Mm -hmm. Although I think God's everywhere you look, including the church. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting when when I had someone say it's it's also within. Each exactly. Individual person. Yes. Well, so. even Christ says the kingdom of heaven lies within. Mm hmm. You know, one of my books you may remember is called Christ Enlightened, The Lost Teachings of Jesus Unveiled. And the reason I wrote it is because if you go back to Semitic Christianity I and the people that actually lived in, uh, oh, there, I thank have you. It right here. <laughs> the, well, the, the people that actually listened to Jesus on the Sea of Galilee or up on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the people that spoke and listened in the language of Aramaic. They had their own texts that they used, and we know that not only because we found those texts that have been buried, many of which are carbon dated to the first century. So we're talking about the actual people that walked with him, heard him speak, and began following him. They were mostly Essenes. Um, they wrote down these things. There are books, and it was talked about by the other bishops in uh, the Greek and Roman churches, and they would say, how come these Christians in Israel they're not reading the epistles of Paul. They're reading from the book of Mary, from the gospel of Thomas, from the gospel of James and the gospel of Philip and other books that most Christians haven't heard of. But now all this information has come to light just in the last few decades. It's literally been dug out of the desert. Mm -hmm. Urns have been pulled out. Papyrus has been translated. And the whole message is to look within to find God. It's Jesus was an enlightened being teaching people to find the kingdom of heaven within themselves. Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the big breakthroughs of the 21st century is that we have a whole new context in which we can look at Christ's teachings and say, hey, it's not just a matter of him dying for your sins and going to some place in the middle of the right. earth where there's a big fire if you don't believe a certain way. It's really about him showing us how to find God by questioning and looking within ourselves and realizing that we're spirit. That is our true nature. Mm -hmm. And that's completely in concert with the teachings of the Buddha. If you look at the uh, yogic teachings and all the other world teachings, they're all one teaching because there's all one God. It's the same creator. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Well, it's so nice to hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that should unify us. And that's look right. at all the wars around the world because people are arguing over how to worship God. But even if you trace historically God back to the Sumerian culture where Abraham was born, the original name for God was An, and oh. then through the other Semitic language of Arabic, it became El, or I'm sorry, All, as in Allah. So Allah is the God. So On and All are the same. And in Canaanite, it was El. 
So El and all are the same God. El Shaddai is the first name of God written in the Bible. Later it becomes Yah. But El, all, and on are the same God. And that same deity was worshipped in the Harappan culture, part of the Indus Valley civilization. And on is now referred to more as Shiva. But if you look at the derivation of Shiva, the first god, the oldest of the gods in the Hindu pantheon, it's on with it sitting cross-legged, looking at your third eye, realizing your true nature as that spark of divinity. So all the world is essentially worshiping the same God. They're just arguing over how to say his name and how to worship. That's all politics. <laughs> oh, my. Yes. And um, how we know what happens with politics. <laughs> well, this is the time for us to come together, you know, that. There, there are power bases behind religions. I mean, mm -hmm. religion has become a business, frankly. Yes. And there are people that don't want to look at new information and don't want things to change because they fear the change. Mm -hmm. But I think throughout the world now, there are people that are questioning religion more and more and realizing how could there be but one God and who cares what name you call God. Mm -hmm. And all the prophets and all the great teachers of this world, including Jesus, have all taught us to look within to find God. Mm -hmm. And innately, we know to do that, don't we, Christina? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And so we live in a time that all, whether you're an indigo child or just a yogi trying to find yourself, we all know that the answers lie within us. And that's what I love about Shaktipat. There's no dogma to it. Mm -hmm. You plug in and the truth becomes realized through your own personal direct experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's, that's what's amazing is, is when people can tap into what they innately have, what they were born with. And um, yeah. and I think that's why um, you know there is so many questions about the work that you're doing and the work that you're passing on to others is is like who is this what is this you know we hear about so many different forms of meditation between the Zen meditation the Buddhist meditations and you know it goes on and on but it's like okay what why is this one so powerful Be because of this transference of energy you activated people within so that they're actually feeling that resonate immediately. It's, it's an immediate response, really. Exactly. It's direct. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's nothing to believe. There's no one to follow. I'm not asking people to follow me or even believe what I say. But we all know there's something making our heart beat, and mm -hmm. we don't make that happen. And the same thing, it makes my heart beat, makes your heart beat, makes everyone's heart beat. The same spirit or life force or shakti, whatever you want to call it, is flowing through every living thing throughout the entire universe. We're all plugged into the same source, like mm -hmm. trees or leaves on the tree of life. So Shaktipat is really a matter of connecting to that life force within you that is you. Mm -hmm. That's what continues on after we drop the body. But most people really never connect with that life force or spirit that they are. They wait till they die. And so they go through their whole life not really knowing the true nature of themselves. Mm -hmm. That's why self-realization is at the core of all the world's teachings is man know thyself mm -hmm. so um, I just want to remind our audience uh, if you're viewing uh, online if you scroll down from the the window that you're viewing this on there is a little box down there that you can add your comments or questions um, for Stephen and if you are listening via the phone uh, you can raise your hand by pressing star 2 if you'd like to ask your question yourself. Um, you know, we do, we do um, love the questions coming in, of course, and this is the time that you're able to get to know Stephen a little bit better. Um, Stephen, uh, through, how did you get from your 16-year-old, you know, going up into the mountains and meditating, um, all the way to studying with these great masters? Well, in the beginning, I, I started by reading. Obviously, reading the Bible, the Old Testament, new, reading the Quran, reading the Bhagavad Gita, reading all the classics, the, the whole corpus of the Mahabharat and the Srimad Bhagavatam and all the sutras. And, you know, so I that's how I spent most of my evenings and weekends for most first 20 years of my adult life. But what I realized is I got more from the experiences than from an intellectual understanding of things. Matter of fact, my understanding sometimes was getting in the way of realizing the truth for myself. So I was very fortunate to study with a lot of great masters uh, growing up and studying Kundalini Yoga with Yogi Bhajan or Satchitananda and Iyengar and many of the names that you've heard before. But even after studying and teaching yoga for many, many years, I still didn't have that 
what I'll call that permanent connection with the bliss. Mm -hmm. And so I got back down on my knees and I prayed for a teacher and I had a vision of one very yogic looking guru that I hadn't met before. And the very next day, um, I was traveling up to Los Angeles to go to the Bodhi Tree bookstore to pick up probably a copy of the, the Vedas or something, some obscure text, which the Bodhi Tree was a spiritual bookstore. It had you know books you couldn't get anywhere else. And there, pinned up on the bulletin board, was a picture of the guy that came in my vision during meditation and prayer. His name was Yogi Raj Vetatiri Maharishi, a Kundalini master from the Tamil line in South India. And I go, that's the guy. So the very next day, he was giving a, a talk and an initiation at the Glendale Church of Religious Science. So the very next day, I went back up there to meet him. And as soon as I connected with him, I, I felt his energy field. It took me to that place that I, I used to have to struggle to get to. Mm. You know, I used to try to get there through meditation and just sitting with this man, all of a sudden, it's like things opened up for me. And he looked at me and he took me under his wing. And for the next six years, he basically told me he, that he wanted to teach me to become a master in his lineage. And I did. I apprenticed with him for six years, traveling throughout Southern California and going back to India mm. with him. And um, when he got too old to keep traveling, because he had centers in 120 countries wow. uh, and two ashrams in India today, he's very well known in India. He appeals to the intellectual class of Indians hmm. and uh, was nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize. And they made a commemorative stamp in his honor and all this kind of stuff. So he was a very powerful guru. And when he was too old to travel the world anymore, he asked me to teach in his absence. So I'm a linear lineage holder mm -hmm. trying to conduct this this lineage of teachers that goes back over 10,000 years and to bring it forward for the western mindset he specifically said look you need to explain this in a way that westerners will understand they may not connect with my eastern ways and and accent mm -hmm. and so that's when i started the self-awareness institute this was in 1985 it was at the bequest of the maharishi himself and it's grown, to, as you know, to 120 countries all over the world now. Mm. And and is he still alive? No, he's not. He's he he's attained his maha samadhi, meaning he left his body uh, many years ago. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, mm -hmm. and my other guru is gone too. I had two principal gurus. The other, by the way, I was the other guru that I studied with, who was a fascinating being. His name was Sri Sri Sri. Shiva Bala Yogi Maharaj and all these other teachers that I'd been studying with kept telling me to meet this guy. I mean, I studied with Lahiri Mahasai's great grandson to teach Kriya Yoga, and he used to tell me, You've got to see this Shiva Bala Yogi. Hmm. Sai Baba, who's recognized as an avatar in India, I mean, tens of thousands of people come to see this guy on any given day, and he told me, You need to study with Shiva Bala Yogi. So he was kind of the, the guru's guru in India. This guy sat 12 years in to yoga tapas, meaning he was in meditation, in samadhi, 23 hours a day from, from the age of 14. He just sat all day and all night. So he became a pilgrimage site for other sadhus and yogis throughout India. And one day I was led to him. And again, he sat me down and says, look, I'm going to train you to be a yogi. And it wasn't a matter of asking me, by the way. He just told me. He <laughs> sensed something. And, and, oh, by the way, I want you to increase your meditation time up to eight hours a day. And I go, you got to be kidding. you know. But <laughs> once you connect with the life force energy, that's nothing, really. You want to be in that state. You want to connect. It's, it's like making love. There's a bliss that's indescribable. So in completing my yoga tapas with him, he had he called me to India. So I had a... I had a business. I closed it down. I got rid of everything I owned. I went off to India. And first I sat for 12 hours a day for months, and then I moved it up to 20. And eventually I was sitting 23 hours a day for 40 consecutive days mm. and nights. And what that was doing is preparing me to transmit the Shakti on a global level, to be a conductor, as it were, mm. like a satellite beaming energy out. My job now is to send energy out to those who are ready so they can pick up on it from wherever they are in the world. And that's just a matter of training. Mm -hmm. 
And now, now I've heard that before about the 40 days and 40 nights. There, there is some magical number with that. If you're meditating or if you're chanting, that you must do it for 40 days and 40 nights. What, can you explain a little bit about that? You know, I wasn't sure. Um, I know, of course, Jesus, after he received his baptism and enlightenment in the Jordan, he went to the desert for 40 days and nights. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how long I'd be sitting. I just sat. I, he was just told, okay, now sit, sit all day and all night, you know, just sit. And I sat. And <laughs> after 40 days and nights were done, I just kind of came out of it. And was this is all through psychic or telepathic communication, by the way. He's not calling me on the phone saying, okay, your meditation is done. I just knew at the end of that time period, I just kind of came out of it and I was called to his presence. And that's where he announced to his other students that I completed my yoga tapas and I'd be considered a yogi and I could initiate into what's called Shaktipat meditation on his behalf because he would no longer be coming to America. And so I became kind of the heir apparent to his lineage and started giving Shaktipat meditation. And that was around the same time my first book, Looking for God, was published. And I started doing some TV and radio shows, and that's self-awareness history started growing around that time. Mm, mm, magnificent. Um, well, that's, that's quite a journey. <laughs> In the... That's my life, yeah. Oh, wow, yes. Um, so, so really, you were doing your 40 days and 40 nights here in the U.S. No, no, I was in India. You were in India. I was in Bangalore. I was actually at the Cavalry Continental Hotel, which mm. is famous for people that go see Sai Baba or other gurus. Uh, Ravi Shankar is in Bang Bangalore. Shiva Bala Yogi is in Bangalore. So the Cavalry Continental is a place where Westerners often congregate from all over the world. Mm. And I basically wanted to leave the ashram because it was too noisy over there. And when I got to the hotel, I had him take out the phone. And I said, look, I don't want to be disturbed for for months. Don't knock on the door. Don't change my sheets. Don't do anything. Just let me be. And they were thinking, what? What are you What are you talking about? They'd never heard of such a thing. You know, what about food? What about this? And I had a friend come that was making sure that I had water, making sure that I'd eat a little bit every day so I didn't, you know, waste away. And what was so beautiful at the end of that time when I completed the tapas, because in India, these things are so revered, the whole hotel staff showed up and made a line as I exited the room and they were all pranaming to show their oh, respect because they'd never had that done in their hotel. Mm. It kind of blessed their hotel, I guess, in a way. Mm. Oh, what a magnificent experience. Yeah, it was. And then I feel I'm very, for I'm the most blessed man in the world. Mm. Mm. Ah, see, I even have to take a breath on that one. I could feel it all through all my body. That was, woo. Wonderful. Well, the whole idea is, you know, to unify people, to realize there isn't just one path, there isn't just one teacher, there isn't just one way. There's all of us that we're part of the same whole. Mm -hmm. And that's part of why I wrote the, my first book, Looking for God, on all the religions of the world, so that people could first understand each other's ways of thinking and see not only what interesting differences there are, but hopefully see that there's a commonality between all of us, that we're all, you know, no matter what religion or culture or skin or gender or ideology we hold, we're all spirit innately. And it's us connecting with the spirit that we are and seeing each other spirit to spirit and soul to soul, which is bringing about this global enlightenment. Mm -hmm. So, so now Stephen, um, so you did all this training with all these individuals um, and I mean, it, it, I mean, what I hear and, and like for myself, it's is I feel like I'm a forever student. Do you feel that way as well, that, that you just continue to, to grow and there's so much more to learn? Yes. Well, this vehicle we call Stephen, first of all, I don't think of myself as a human being, but, but I can't deny that the form and brain is there and I am not a perfect vehicle. Uh, my brain is continually trying to how would you say, expand its capacity for compassion and love and increase not only information, but my ability to communicate effectively and help other people. That's an ongoing process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, well, I'm, I'm sure with all these different students that come, come through um, your teachings that they're also bringing new aspects 
to the environment. Yes. And, and what they're really doing, is too, is they're reflecting back to me whatever I need to see. Mm -hmm. We're all reflections of each other, and so it, it gives me feedback to how I'm being heard as well, so I can develop myself to be a more effective teacher, I hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so I also, the, for a brief moment, I mean, before we started this, uh, there, there was a question that came in about, uh, about uh, energy, and uh, you had said that you also studied martial arts at one point? Yes, all the Taoist and Buddhist arts, and, and that's right, Segovia had a question, didn't he, about my Kung Fu master. Uh, his name was Master Ho, or Tony Ho, who was the all-China national martial arts champion uh, from Shanghai, and he immigrated to the United States and began teaching different police departments, grips and things like this, and I had the good fortune to study with him. And the story that Segovia... I think wanted me to recount was that the energy that was in his body, the chi that he had built up through his tai chi and qi gong, was so powerful that he could throw you against the room without physically touching you. He could actually just mm -hmm. expand the energy that would physically move your body uh, if you were standing straight up, so that you'd have to step backwards or you'd actually bounce off the wall. Uh, one time, he had taken one of his students to a martial arts uh, competition. And um, somebody else that had heard of Tony, and if you'd seen Tony, he's not, he, he's not particularly big, he's not particularly strong, he doesn't look imposing in any way, shape, or form, he's always got a little smile, he's like a little Buddha. And uh, somebody came up and tried to, uh, to test him, came up and did a, a kick to see how he'd respond, and Tony, because Tony would never fight anybody, he just refused to fight. He put up his arm to block the punch, this guy fractured his leg in 30 places just from one kick trying to hit Tony. The, the, the strength and the energy that would move from his body was like trying to kick an iron mm. post, in other words. So he never, he never even came to a competition again. He wouldn't show up because he'd see all these macho people trying to show off what they think they know. But in martial arts, the, the true power is, isn't in the form of the kicking or the punching. Right. It's really energy work. Two masters come together. They know who's going to win before they ever move their body. Mm -hmm. There is no kicking and fighting per se. Mm -hmm. Not necessary. It's all about energy. Mm -hmm. Not necessary. It, it's so funny uh, growing up, of course, you know, the, my Asian side, uh, watching these old uh, kung fu movies and things like that, where, where that's what it is. You know, the, the masters would just put up the palm of their hand and people would go flying across the room. And uh, what was interesting is, uh, you know, watching people do Tai Chi and the masters that do Tai Chi and the ability to see the energy actually emanating from their hands as they're moving slowly, it's so magnificent. It is just so magnificent. And yet, as you say, it, you, you look at them, they, they're petite in size, and, and yet you can see all this strength, the, the inner strength that is so built up. So Exactly. And it's it's similar to the Shaktipat. Shaktipat's at a different gradient. Chi is a denser physical energy that's used in the body, where Shaktipat is really a spiritual energy that doesn't, it only comes into a physical form when you, when you try and channel it through you. Mm. And this is what we do at Self-Awareness Institute, is we work with this innate, both intelligence and innate energy, you might think of it as spirit, and conduct it, learn how to not only pick it up, like a radio receiver, but build it up inside you so that your biomagnetic fields or your your spirit energy or your aura, if you want to call it that, gets bigger and brighter and stronger, but also that you learn to calibrate at a higher level of consciousness. You learn to tune in, you might say, to these higher frequencies or higher states of consciousness that actually begin to transcend time, space, energy, and matter. There's a whole other world that isn't in the three-dimensional world. You might think of it as a celestial world that actually is in this physical world as well, but it is unseen by most people. So Shaktipat is, I mean, I'm, I'm just kind of coming back to something that you just said. So it is the transference of a spiritual energy. Yes. It's Shakti in general is what mm -hmm. makes everything tick. There's Shakti in every living being. There's Shakti in the earth itself, in the minerals itself, in every atom, 
and in every universe. Mm -hmm. There's, in other words, from uh, latent potential to patent expression. Everything that arises arises from something that appears to be invisible, whether it's an electron arising in an atom, or it's the Big Bang in a universe arising out of what appears to be nothingness. Everything that appears is appearing from something, from something or someplace that is non-seen. It's sustained and guided by invisible forces, and it eventually merges back into what is unseen again. Mm -hmm. So just because it's not seen doesn't mean it's not there, though. So mm -hmm. the purpose of Shakti is to connect with that interface, to connect into that, that primordial world or that kingdom of heaven that does lie within us. Um, That's what self-realization and God-realization is, by the way. You know, it's entering into that spiritual world or that spiritual kingdom where you see God in everything, everywhere, all the time. Hmm. Hmm. That's, uh, that's a, a, beautiful, a beautiful vision um, hmm. that uh, I, I have always uh, lived by because uh, even when I've studied with indigenous cultures, they're always saying, giving blessings before they enter a room, uh, before they pick a flower, before they, you know, do anything. They're always giving some kind of blessings to whatever that might be. Uh, you know, the Native Americans is with the, you know, during sweat lodges, it's to the rock people. It's everything around them has a life. So right. Be very has beautiful. spirit. Has spirit, yes. Yeah, yes. has a spirit. Um, By the way, as your viewers and listeners are, are participating, if they just put their hands up, even as we're speaking, they'll begin to tune into what we call Shaktipat, because it's being transmitted along with the sound and the images. And you'll begin to feel a tingly sensation in your hands if you don't already feel it. And all they or any of us have to do is like tune into it and allow ourselves to receive it. And you can even draw it in as you inhale. You can just pull it in from your arms into your body. And pretty soon your whole body will begin to buzz. So you can have the experience of it while you're listening to this discussion. Mm, mm. And, I, and I remember you said on, on another time when someone said, how long do we keep our arms up for? It's <laughs> <laughs> as long as you want. As long as you want. <laughs> yeah. When your arms get tired, you can put them down. But, uh... Putting the hands up because we feel things with our hands. Sometimes it just makes it more tangible if you can physically touch the energy, so to speak. And so if they put their hands up, it's easier to feel something in the palms of your hands and fingers than it is, say, on your face or other parts of your body. You know, even though your whole epidermis will feel something tactilely, your hands are the primary instrument for feeling and touch. So by putting your hands up, you'll feel the energy. And if if, if your hands have been up, the other thing we can do is to turn the palms so they face each other. Now that you've kind of picked in, gathered some of that energy, and imagine you're squeezing a beach ball in front of your chest, and you'll actually feel those biomagnetic fields between your hands. You can actually kind of squeeze the beach ball, keeping a that's exactly just like you're doing now, and that field will will get stronger. And this is true any time that we do a meditation together, or you listen to a talk. Um, because the whole purpose is to transmit the energy. It's not the information. It's the spirit that we're connecting with at a level that your mind may not even be cognizant of. But the energy is there. And, and as we learn, the more we tune in, the easier it gets to tune in. The ability develops with practice. And that's why we have these courses, like the self-realization course that's starting tonight. It's so people can gain the training in learning how to not only tune in, but build up that energy and learn to take themselves into higher levels of consciousness by doing it week after week after week after week and having a, quote, master or teacher kind of pull it out of you. You know, the light's within you, but the idea is how do you bring that light out? How do you bring that light out through what you think and say and do? That's what enlightenment is. It's bringing what you already are into the forefront of your own awareness so that you think and speak and act from that place of higher consciousness. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. Uh, we have a, a couple of comments that came in. Um, this person says, I've always said that all religions are pretty much the same. People look at me like I'm crazy. I'm so glad to hear him say that. So that was one comment. 
Yeah, we know it intuitively, don't we? Mm, I believe so. Yeah, um, and why would God favor uh, one group or ethnicity than another? Right. Aren't we all children of the same creator? By whatever name or way you think of God, we mm -hmm. realize that we have one creator, the same, the same force that created me, created you, and created everyone else on earth. So why would there be a favoritism to one time and place in history? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what I used to always question as a child. <laughs> exactly. And the question about money. It's like, okay, we're living by simple means as it is, and how much more do we have to give now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> when the Vatican has so much gold, I hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. It, well, that's, that's what happens is religion oftentimes will, I think, corrupt mm -hmm. the teachings of the teacher. And, you know, there's over... I think I've listed over 200 sects of Christianity in my book, and yet each one of them thinks that they're right and the others are wrong, but none of them actually lived back then. None of the teachings that are currently being taught are what Jesus actually taught in the first century, interestingly enough. Mm. They're all modifications or mm. embellishments. They've added their own perspectives and ideas to what they think he was saying and talking about. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But from my own investigation, there's a big difference in what's being taught today and what was actually taught in the first century. Mm. I believe that to be true. It's it's like how it's like how anything is translated. It is uh, very often by perspective, and yeah. uh, it gets just a little shift. And you know, it's like the grapevine. How as it goes through the grapevine, it just shifts that little bit more and that little bit more. And uh, next thing you know, it's it's quite different from what was the the original primary source. Exactly. And if you if you listen to the teachings of the Buddha, who lived 500 years before Christ, and you compare what he's saying to Jesus, they mirror each other. Matter of fact, Jack Kornfield wrote a book where he put sentences together. Here's what Buddha said. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what Buddha said. Here's what Jesus said. And when you stack them up side by side, it sounds like they're saying pretty much the same thing. And if you read the book of Acts and you hear Jesus's analogy of the blind leading the blind, he's actually quoting from the Katha Upanishad, which was written 100 years before in India. And if you hear the story of the mustard seed, which is very famous uh, to most Christians, uh, that too is a part of the corpus of Upanishadic literature that was written 100 years before. A lot of people don't realize three centuries B.C. there were synagogues in southwest India. And there was a trade, a trading of spices and teak and ivory for tin and other uh, items from the Mediterranean. Through the Jewish people, there were trade going on between India and the Mediterranean and Israel specifically. So we don't know. We don't have physical proof that Jesus himself went to India. But it's very clear that there was an influence of these teachings in the Middle East. And it's documented through the church fathers themselves. Matter of fact, Thomas, one of the apostles, mm -hmm. we have on record through multiple sources that he went to India and established the first church. They have the deed in the state of Kerala in southwest India, where here's a deed given to Thomas. It even says his name, giving him the permission to start a church. But in the Thomasine teachings of Christ, they're not praying that you go to some heaven that's out in the clouds one day. They're learning how to look within to find God. Hmm. It's a whole different kind of Christianity. Hmm. And there's over a million of these Christians in India. A lot of people don't realize that. Hmm. Amazing. The oh, Thomasine you have, you have really immersed yeah. yourself, haven't you? This is my life. <laughs> I've, been groomed, I've been groomed since childhood for this. And, oh. the idea, and this is the time, Christina, this is the time where people are awakening. There's a mass movement. The consciousness of the planet even though we see a lot of darkness happening in terms of world war and politics, it, in that same tumultuous state, it's forcing people to look deeper mm -hmm. and it's awakening the consciousness of humanity. So the people in Yoga Hub are a good example. Everybody that's in Yoga Hub has a higher state of consciousness than the average person in the world. They're doing something to evolve themselves to a higher capacity. And within your group, there are people that are actively seeking full enlightenment. So this is, this is what you and I are addressing right now. Who Absolutely. are those people who are ready for full enlightenment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, we had a question come in, Stephen. Um, 
that I'd like to know about his work with the government. I'm assuming government and your financial side of, of business before and how that integrates yes. with the work that you do. Okay, by way of a very brief background, because uh, we didn't talk about my education. I, I used to sell diamonds and gold, and one of my clients was a congressman from New York named Allard Lowenstein, and he was the first one to tell me that basically the world bankers control the world and our government and the CIA, and that they killed John F. Kennedy and all this stuff that I found very hard to believe. But then he was assassinated. He told me he'd be assassinated by the CIA, and six months later he was shot in the forehead while sitting at his desk in an office in New York. So I wanted to know, how does the money system work? Who controls the world? And I ended up studying business at Menlo and studying money, credit, and banking at Stanford, and then went to the University of Wales to get my master's degree in international banking. My first job was working for the government uh, as an economist, and then later I worked at Lloyds Bank as an international banker. So I had a front row center seat to seeing how money controlled governments and people and who was behind the real power structure of the world. And that's part of my passion for wanting to awaken the consciousness of the world. There's, there's actually an evil power ruling the world. Um, and so my experience with the government is that it's been hijacked by people that seek to control others through money and power. That's why I wrote the book, Money and Power, The Secret History. Mm. Um, and that's what was my earlier radio program was about today. They wanted to know about money and power and how the Federal Reserve is controlling our government, has hijacked it. Uh, because nothing that our government can do can it do without money. And the Federal Reserve is not a federal organization. It's privately owned. Ultimately, a handful mm. of families have control over it. And they are squeezing us financially. That's why we're in such a dire financial situation. It's, mm. it's, it's by design. It's not some mistake that's been made. It's that people are trying to gain more control, and they have. But it's only through the enlightenment of the population of the world that we rise up together to bring this light into the world to all that may see, and that light will dispel the darkness and bring peace on Earth. Yeah. And I believe that from the bottom of my heart. Well, that's uh, quite a difference uh, in... Um in your meditation and your teachings uh, to be into the finance and the business and the government and the con economic side. <laughs> it's like two paths. Well if, you think of, well, if you think about it, I would argue that in Western culture and in the United States in particular, people worship money. Mm -hmm. they, they pay lip service to God. They may even go to church on Sunday. But all their thoughts and the time they spend during the day are focused on money, 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 money. And that's what's really ruined the world. It's the greed that has pulled people down. The happiest people I know are the, some of the poorest people on earth. Mm -hmm. And I've been a millionaire twice, and I've lost everything I own twice. And I'll tell you, in the circles that I'm around, I know billionaires, but I don't know any billionaires that are happy. Mm -hmm. But I know a lot of people that live in the light of God's grace and don't give a hoot about money. And I'm one of them. I think money and trying to chase after money is the cause of most suffering on earth. And that's what Christ taught too. And Buddha was a prince. And he renounced all his worldly possessions so that he could find God. And he did for the sake of the world. And Jesus too, he renounced all those worldly mm -hmm. possessions. The Maharishi and the Maharaj that I studied with, they didn't focus on making money. The people that are enlightened in this world aren't focusing on money. They're focusing on God mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and helping others find God. Mm. So, Stephen, as we come close to the top of our hour here, um, let's speak a little bit about your, your course that you're actually beginning tonight. Um, I mean, I do understand that you uh, have these ongoing self-realization courses that go on throughout the year. Isn't that correct? Several times a year, we, mm -hmm. we put them together. They're teleconferenced. Mm -hmm. And they're specifically for people that are ready for enlightenment. I mean, it's not a matter of learning meditation. We have CDs, and I've got enlightenment radio online, and all kinds of places you can learn for free. 99% of what I do is for free. You can get, get it download an MP3. I'll give some to you if you'd like, so you can make them available at Yoga Hub. I, I give it out freely as a service to the world. But for those people that are really committed to enlightenment, they've got to show their commitment. They've got to be committed. They've got to get on the calls. It'll be, it'll start tonight. It'll run for 12 weeks. And we've got people from all over the world joining. 
which will be exciting. We've got people in Europe, someone in Australia, We've got some right now in Venezuela, as well as all over the United States. And what happens is similar to this conference is as you're sitting over the telephone, you're going to get an energy transmission and it's going to take, it's going to start opening up that light, like fanning a flame. The light in you starts growing brighter and the energy in your body starts to shift. And then you practice the meditation each day of the week to kind of acclimate yourself to this higher state. And then the very next week, in this case, it'd be the very next Wednesday, you get another empowerment. We bring the energy up another notch. So after 12 consecutive weeks, you're brought up a notch and then another notch and another notch. And by, by the end of 12 weeks, everybody gets calibrated at least into the what Dr. Hawkins calls the 500s. You get an awakened state of consciousness. Hmm. You awaken. Your consciousness is awakened. And we, we guarantee that. Hmm. And, and this is just uh, uh, basically the beginning level because that also is like the prerequisite to any your teacher training as well. Isn't that correct? Right. Our goal is to have uh, teachers in all the major cities around the world. But the the self-realization course is, well, it's not really basic. It's a very, very advanced training. But it takes you to what I would consider the graduate level, where you become now a teacher. It's only after you finish the self-realization course that I encourage students to hold their own, say, meditation classes or have a uh, study group or something. Mm -hmm. And then when they've finished a year of training in this capacity, uh, then we formally acknowledge them as a teacher and give them their certificate and they can use our logo and we'll put their name on our, our website. We can actually direct traffic to them. We want to be able to tell people, like we have a group in Madrid, Spain, uh, and I have somebody in uh, Santiago, Chile, as, as well as uh, Cedar Falls, Iowa and other places around the country. So now People will seek places where they can physically go and have a physical teacher mm -hmm. and other people that are like-minded. So my goal and what I'm hoping is within Yoga Hub that some of these people will say, no, I want to be someone that will be that place of presence, that will hold that space and be that light for people ready to enlighten. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, now, what happens is um, if a person is not able to make all the classes? Well, we have them recorded, and you can listen to the playback. We don't give out the MP3 for that. But everybody will be given a series of MP3s that they can download to practice the meditation. So if they're not able, if they miss a call, and that's typical in a world that's busy, everyone's busy, um, we do have the playback to hear it later. And as long as you're connecting with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you'll get the transmission. The, the sound and the words are really uh, just to bring your mind into focus, mm -hmm. kind of like tuning into a radio station. You know, you remember the old-fashioned knobs? You had to tune the knob to get oh, yes. the station. <laughs> Actually, I still have a radio like that. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh yes. There's something about digital. I, I I don't trust digital altogether. So I I love the I love the old phone where it's connected and you know completely the wire goes right into the wall and. You know, everything yep. is, it, there's no battery in it. It's just your basic phone. And I love that basic radio where, you know, you just have to turn that knob. <laughs> because, you know, when well, the good news is, go ahead. The good news is we're all plugged into spirit. There you and go. so everybody has, I mean, you don't need me to connect with your own spirit. But if you know someone that knows how to dial in or take you to those higher, it's like most people are listening to AM and they don't know there's an FM. Mm -hmm. So the whole purpose of the self-realization course is really to help people tune into those higher bandwidths of consciousness until they are fully enlightened themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's just a matter of practice and training. Mm -hmm. And, and how, when did you start the self-realization course? How many years have you been doing it now? Well, we've been doing this for about 10 years now. We've had mm -hmm. hundreds of people come through it. And I'm happy to say not one of them has ever said it didn't work for me. You know, not, people practice to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, but everybody gets the results. We know it works. No mm -hmm. question. Mm, wonderful. Well, I wish you much flow and abundance in your course that's starting tonight and, and everything you do, of course. Now, I've also had people ask if you uh, also teach this in person. Uh, we have retreats where I teach in person. I don't teach in person one-on-one, -on -one, mostly because, you know, I've got thousands of students and I can't really 
take the time to do that. We'll be doing a retreat in May out in Joshua Tree. Mm-hmm. And we've done retreats all over the world. We do them usually twice a year, at least one for everybody and one maybe just for the graduate students. Because my graduate students might want to sit for six to eight hours a day. And, mm-hmm. and we can't expect someone new to this practice to sit that much. Mm-hmm. But in everybody that goes to a retreat will get an intensification of that energy. It's a good way to kind of learn how to plug in. So, so yes, that's my personal so do they do they take your your teleconference class first and then meet you at a retreat or can they, they can, come to the retreat they can do it either way you can start at a retreat and then uh, decide you want to take the course because the course is a bigger commitment financial commitment and time commitment so we're really trying to isolate and that's the nice thing. You talk about working in person. This, the self-realization courses are always done in very small groups. So I can interact with people more one-on-one. You can ask me a question, and I can answer your specific question. That, that is really what they pay for. And by the way, I think, as you know, I'm, I, I'm making an offer for anybody that's affiliated with you to get a tremendous discount yes. off of the course. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely. And Special we, deal for your Yoga Hub people. I, I do believe that uh, the, the Yoga Hub uh, members and the premier members, you know, when when they are able to look up the, uh, go to the shop Yoga Hub and look up the course, you will see that Stephen has given us an incredible, incredible deal. So, you know, we encourage you to, if you have any interest at all or any you know, just so that little tingle that comes in to go, hmm, I'm, I'm interested. And just to just delve in a little further, we, we definitely uh, invite you to go to Shop Yoga Hub and uh, have a look at uh, what he's offering the course for, really. It's, it's magnificent, and we're very honored by that, Stephen. I want you to know that. You're welcome. So, um, Well, so, I'm honored to have be on your show. Well, you know, with what you're doing, uh, we, we will – Definitely, definitely want to continue to promote everything you do and all the courses that you do and that you're offering because uh, I do believe your work is very powerful and and is, you know, again, raising that uh, awareness and consciousness for each individual. Um, there's a, there's a, when, when the gurus chose you to teach this in the West, I there was a reason, a very powerful reason. You're able to tap into the way the society um, is able to absorb information. And I think that was what was very powerful during your session. And others have commented on that as well. Is um, uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry, a comment just came in um, from another speaker of ours uh, who has been listening to say, so enjoyed this, wonderful. <laughs> so. So, well, I got to tell you, I don't, I don't claim anything personally. Does anything that any of your listeners or viewers got got because the spirit works through all of us. Mm-hmm. I have to turn around and and give all credit to the divine. This this earthly body really isn't any different than anyone else, but I appreciate the kudos nonetheless. Mm, it's you know, being that vessel, it, it's such an honor, isn't it, to be that vessel to share so much. It's sure a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm living my wildest fantasy. I really am. That is wonderful. You're right. What, what did you say? You're um, writing that. What, what did you write in your graduation book? Oh, I'm floating on the universal note. <laughs> to float on the universal note was my goal in life. And, and I am floating. And nice floating with you. What, I, I love, I'm ready. You know? <laughs> um and what do your your fellow stu- uh, past students or colleagues what what have they mentioned anything have they uh, when they found you on Facebook? Oh yeah, yeah. Well, many of them are taking the course, and oh. their testimonials are on the website. You know, you, we see. Uh, well, they're all curious. Some people, obviously, mm-hmm. what I'm doing is out there for your average human being, and so they, if they find me, they kind of knew I was out there because I was out there in high school. I'm just even more out there in their mind. But some of those people have connected. So it's kind of exciting for me to see that people that I hadn't seen for 20 years come get reconnected. And now they're living happier lives. Mm. They're, you know, Mm. I'm 
there's not a day of my life I don't get a phone call, email, or card telling me how people say this has changed their life. And I don't think it's me doing it, of course. I mean, I'm happy to play a part in that process, but it's it's really the them opening up to the divine entering into their life. And, and once you've created that space where you say, I'm ready, mm -hmm. and you open your heart, then the divine takes over your life, yeah. and the rest is just lovely. Yeah. Well, well, we definitely invite everybody to, to travel that journey with you. That's magnificent. So, Stu, is there anything that you'd like to leave our audience with? Uh, well, just for those that are chomping at the bit and think they're ready to enlightenment and don't want to wait another moment, just know that you're welcome to join us tonight, but you better contact us soon so you can get the phone number and PIN. And if this isn't your time, that's fine too. It's any time it works for you. And I'm happy to share with you again anytime, Christina. You're a joy to work with. Oh, blessings. Well, it's, a, it's truly an honor to spend time with you every moment. On and off air. <laughs> Very good. Now, should they, if they want to contact us, should they do that through you? Should we leave your phone number or email? Or how, if, yes, if someone I, was listening and they say, well, how do we get started? Yes, I do What's believe that on the, on the TV site, it has all the links that they can just click onto and it'll automatically take them through there. Um, I will also uh, say that, uh, and we'll, we should add a note um, for my team to add a note on there to say that anyone, uh, Stephen has also mentioned that he does have payment plans as well. So, you know, in such a case, we would forward you over to his, um, his team over on his side to make those arrangements as well. Isn't that correct, Stephen? Yeah, we'll work with you on it. Uh, but make sure you say you're from Yoga Hub. And if you're Premier, let us know that because you get a super duper deal. Yes. Absolutely. A deal we haven't given to anyone else before, by yes, the way. Yes, that's why so. I'm not announcing it, because this is going to go all over the place. <laughs> so. Well, that's good. Yes. Well, well, you're doing a great service, and so it's good that the people that are supporting you can be rewarded, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I do believe we, you know, it's that co collaboration of that village, I call it. Everyone helps each mm -hmm. other, and everyone grows together, and I, I do believe that's where the strength lies, you know, so... Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for taking the time today and blessing us and gifting us with your journey and how you have come to be where you are in life. I think it's very powerful um, for everyone to to know that that you know we all have that spirit inside us and are able to connect with one another and share it. So, thank you so much. Jai Guru. Jai Ma. Jai Ma. <laughs>